We are presently in a study of the book of Hebrews. This book is written by, if not Paul, certainly a student of Paul. And it is written to the Messianic Jews, those who were considering Christ as Messiah and uh, moving into a place of receiving Him as Savior, but yet persecution was coming from their synagogues as well as the Romans. Now, the Jewish religion was protected at that time by Rome, but Christianity was not. And so as these Jews were accepting Jesus Christ, uh, moving to understand Him as their Messiah, they were being moved out of their synagogues because the, the Jews there did not want to receive Christ. So these Jewish believers were, were losing their relationship in their synagogues, moving out into Christianity for the truth's sake, receiving Christ, but also now being persecuted by Rome. And they were finding themselves in that place, interesting as we hear from our uh, team in uh, Palestine, who the Palestinian Christians are feeling the same kind of pressures. But uh, they were then considering, maybe we should go back to the synagogues, maybe we should go back to Judaism, back to the law, back to the uh, 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 tabernacle and the, uh, the temple furniture, and back to our way of religion. And, and the writer of Hebrews is beckoning unto them, saying, do not do this. In fact, last week we remember in chapter 2, he said, pay attention, listen to what I'm saying. And in the book of Hebrews, you'll remember what's the main theme. Jesus is better. Jesus is superior. And he's better. He is the completion of all that you were living out. He is the reality of the shadow that the Old Testament was portraying. He is the showbread. He is the incense. He is the light of the world. He is the high priest. He is the temple. He, he is everything. Jesus is better. And it starts out telling us that Jesus is the word of God. He's greater than the prophets that spoke to you. And he goes on and he says, Jesus has a name which is greater than any prophet, greater than any angel. It is a name called Son. He is the Son of God. God come in the flesh. He's greater, greater than any angel or anything else. So pay careful attention to what's happening in your lives. Don't leave this. And so we start now in chapter 3. And in chapter 3, he wants to make sure that they understand there is a living law, a law of the Spirit now, no longer of stone. And he's telling them not to let their hearts turn to stone. But before we get there, he's got one more person to compare Jesus with. And we start at Hebrews 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest, whom we confess. Now, and when Jesus is to be considered, he says, consider Christ. And, and the word for consider uh, in Latin, con, C-O-N, means with. And sitter is, is a Latin derivative of a word that means constellation. In other words, with constellation, with watching. Or in other words, set your gaze upon him as you would in astronomy. In other words, gaze at him as you do the stars. When you're trying to get somewhere in the ancient times, you had to fix your eyes on the constellation. You had to look to the North Star. You had to know how you were going to pass through the desert, how you're going to get somewhere, and you would gaze and look on the movement of the stars. It's the same sense. 
Fix your eyes on Jesus. You're going to get your answers from Jesus. You're going to get your directives from Jesus. Fix your eyes on him and nothing else. Don't go back. Don't fix your eyes on what you had in the temple. Don't fix your eyes on an earthly high priest. Fix your gaze on Christ and Christ alone. And so he says, he starts telling them about Jesus. He said he was faithful to the one who appointed him. Hey, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Now, it's one thing to talk about Jesus being better than the prophets. That's good. I understand that. That's cool. He's greater than the angels. That's great. But don't you, oh, don't go talking about him being better than Moses now. He's in big trouble. The writer of Hebrews now is treading on thin ice with Israel. You're coming against the prophet. Moses, the lawgiver, and he does not back off. He wants, he leaves the best for, for last here in his argument saying, look it, Jesus is better than Moses. Because what comes with Moses? The law, the priesthood, the tabernacle, sacrifice for sin, everything. He says, no, what? Jesus is, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And he goes on, he says this. Just as Moses was faithful in God's house, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God's the builder of everything. Do you understand what he's saying there? He says, Moses was a good servant in the house of God, but Jesus is the builder of that house. And by the way, God is the builder of everything, so if Jesus is the builder of the house and God is the builder, Jesus is God. He is God in the flesh. Therefore, it's nice that Moses was faithful. It's great that Moses was a servant in the house, but Jesus owns the house. Jesus designed the house. Jesus built the house. Now, verse 5. Moses was a faithful servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house, if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. We're the house. We're the temple that Christ is building for the Father to dwell in. We are now the house of God, the tabernacle, that God dwells in us. It's no longer curtains and drapes. It's no longer brick and gold. It is, in fact, a soul saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. He's the builder of the house. He is not just a servant in it. He is the architect. It is his body, literally, that is the tabernacle of the temple of the Lord. Now, we can compare the two, and it's great to see that Moses, in fact, is a shadow of Jesus. Moses was the Messiah of that time. Remember, Messiah means anointed one. And so Moses was the anointed prophet, the anointed one, to bring Israel out of the bondage of sin, Egypt, into the promised land. All of that is a foreshadowing of Jesus. And everything that the Israelites did, going through the desert and getting the tabernacle, all pointed to Jesus. And so let's just do a little comparison here. I mean, Moses is good. He's faithful, a prophet of the house. But Jesus owns the house. So when you compare the two, uh, both of them had a virgin birth, if you will. Consider this. Of course, Moses had a natural mother. But 
Pharaoh's daughter had a baby without being pregnant, didn't she? <laughs> she found a baby in the Nile, and, had, and she brought Moses into the house. Well, that's good, but Jesus is better. For Isaiah said that there is a, a virgin who shall conceive as a sign to all Israel. And God put the seed within Mary so that he would bypass the curse of Adam, and he would be sinless and the, the sinless Lamb of God provided for sacrifice. He was born of a greater virgin. Both came from Abraham. Moses, a descendant of Abraham, bringing forth the promises of Abraham. But Jesus is better because Jesus is the seed of Abraham that was promised to Abraham that would bless all the nations of the world. So Jesus is better. Both were sent to the children of Israel to deliver them. And Moses went to deliver the children of Israel. Jesus went to deliver the children of Israel as well as every life that ever lived on planet earth if they would but believe in him. Both forsook the high status of their lives. Moses forsook the Pharaoh's palace for the sake of following after God and Israel's God. But Jesus, who being for, found in the nature God, thought that equality with God was not something to be grasped, but emptied himself and became man and died for us even a death on a tree. He emptied and left himself, not a palace, but he left heaven itself to come for our salvation. Jesus is... Oh, you better catch up with me now. Come on. Both were rejected by their people, but Jesus was rejected in such a way that as he hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He still died for their sins and he is returning for Israel so that they may see him as their Messiah. Jesus is better. Both accomplished their mission. But Jesus accomplished it in such a way where Moses couldn't go into the promised land because of his own failure and sin. Jesus accomplished his goal, dying for all mankind, rising on the third day, ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God. From there he'll come to judge the living and the dead. He accomplished his mission. Look, at Moses was good, but Jesus is all right. They both wrought many miracles, signs, and wonders. They did good. Moses changed water into blood, but my Jesus turned the water into wine as a first miracle, and it's sweet. Moses is good, but Jesus is better. They both gave the law, and on the day when Moses came with the law and the Ten Commandments down the mount, he saw a people who were rebellious, a people worshiping an idol. And what happened on that day is God's judgment came and killed 3,000. On the other hand, Jesus, when he brought forth the spirit of the law of liberty and freedom from sin, on day of Pentecost, the spirit entered in, and on that day, 3,000 souls were saved in eternal life. Moses is good, but Jesus is better. Oh, I want to tell you, both offered themselves to die. Both made a marriage to Gentiles. Moses married a Gentile woman, and Jesus came for Israel, but he became betrothed to all whosoever will, the bride of both Gentile and Jew. Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Jesus is that serpent that said, If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Moses is good, but Jesus is better. 
Israel was baptized unto Moses in the sea, but every believer who receives Christ is baptized by the very nature and spirit of God himself. Oh, it's nice to get wet, but it's better to be filled with the spirit of God. Moses is good, but Jesus... Moses gave the people bread from heaven. Jesus is that living bread. He is the manna that we feed on daily. Moses was buried by God. Jesus was buried by men, but he rose and ascended unto the throne of God. Oh, Moses was good, but Jesus is better. Moses was a prophet in the house of the Lord. Jesus built the house. Moses couldn't go into the promised land. Jesus went into glory. Moses was a sinful man. Christ is sinless. Moses brought the patterns of things to come, but Jesus is the very pattern and is the fulfillment of every shadow of the Old Testament. Moses' mission was concerning Israel. Christ's mission was concerning every human soul. Moses was only a man, and Jesus is both man and God in the flesh. Emmanuel. Bottom line is, Moses is good, but Jesus is better. And that's what he's trying to drive the point home with. Why would you dare go back to something lesser when you see the Messiah, when you see Jesus? And so we go to the next place. And he begins to quote Psalm 95. I would encourage you to read it today. Psalm 95 says this, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Now listen, the key to this verse is very important. Because when is today? That's right now. Tomorrow, when's today going to be? Tomorrow, or right now, tomorrow, right? Today. What this verse tells us is that God is speaking to every human heart every day. God is speaking to people. The reason you got saved is because God called you and you did not harden your heart. You responded. Today, God is a God of communication. Listen, Christianity is not a set of rules you memorize. It's not a religious group you belong to. It is a people who hear the voice of God. They know their master's voice, and they obey and follow him. He speaks to us daily. This isn't a dry, dead religion. This is a life in Christ. Today, when you you hear his voice, see, this is an expectation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The if comes with the part of how hard your heart is. And so God is speaking today. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. God is speaking to you. Today is salvation. Today is the day for you to hear. So as God is speaking to you today, through Jesus Messiah, don't harden your heart towards him. I know there's persecution. Don't let that keep you from following Messiah. I know you'd be protected in the synagogue, but don't harden your heart towards the voice of God calling. It is in these last days that God has spoken to us through Christ His Son. Don't harden your heart to that voice. Today, the Spirit of God is speaking to us, His church. Don't harden your heart towards that voice. He goes on, he says, don't harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of the testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. Isn't that something? They saw what they did. 
but they harden their hearts. You can see miracles. You can see signs and wonders. You can see people's lives changed. You can hear testimonies. But what's the condition of your heart? Is there unbelief and doubt here? I know many of people who have experienced miracles, seen miracles, seen great moves, had great answers to prayer, but as their heart grows cold, the testimony changes and they begin to explain away the supernatural and cool it down into the natural. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's a heart condition. And he says, don't let that happen to you. The people in the wilderness began to grumble, complain. They saw all that God did, yet they would not mingle it with belief. And so I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared in an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. As long as you doubt the Lord, you're never going to find peace. As long as you doubt the Lord, you'll never find rest in Him. He goes on, see to it, brothers. Oh, no, he's getting a little bit uh, stern here. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And a living God talks. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. We need each other. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at the first. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. I don't know what Calvinists do with this concerning irresistible grace, but this verse tells me you can resist God. You can resist His call. You can resist His grace. You can resist His Spirit. And He's telling people, when you hear His voice, don't resist Him. Don't harden your heart to Him. Jewish believers... The people he's writing to, he's saying, you have heard God, you know Messiah, you understand him, so don't go back, don't turn your back on Jesus, don't harden your heart. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Who were they? Israel. Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Who? All those that let out. Was not those who sinned whose body fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter His rest? If not to those who disobeyed, then whom? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. That's the issue at heart, a hardened heart. How do you get a hardened heart? Well, let me show you right from Scripture. It listed three. It said right here, it said, those, uh, uh, make sure that None of you has sin, a sinful, unbelieving heart hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Turning away from the living God. That's how our heart gets hardened. Sin. Self-centeredness. Sin is missing the mark of God. Sin is pursuing yourself first before God. And there's a deceitfulness to that. It's our flesh. Uh, Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says this, that the heart is desperately wicked. It's deceitful. Who can know it? He's speaking of the flesh life. It's desperately wicked. It's deceitful. How many of you have found your heart deceiving yourself? How many of you have had a conversation with yourself because you've deceived yourself? You get in an argument with yourself. 
You talked yourself right into sin. How many of you have done that? You felt the Holy Spirit saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And you go, no, I think this, wow, how did that happen? You know how it happened. You talked yourself into it. That's how it happened. The devil made me do it. Flip Wilson. The devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make you do anything. He may have enticed you. He may have put sin out there. But you, by your own desires, James says, went after that thing. And so our hearts get hardened. There's a hardness that happens where we resist God. We hear His voice and we resist. Uh, uh, How many of you remember, you can be religious and still harden your heart. David Wilkerson, uh, I I read a a sermon by him earlier today uh, talking about the hardness of a heart, and he says, the place where people's hearts are most hardened is in the church. Sinners are blind. Their hardness can be broken because they're ignorant. Christians choose to ignore. Now that's a hardness. Consider Cain, who did all the religious things right, except there was a problem internally. Showed up to church on time. He was with Abel. It's a small congregation, but he went. (laughs) Brought his little offering. Did his religious duties. But God said, there's something wrong here, Cain. There's something crouching at your heart's door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Today, When you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. Cain hardened his heart and said, I'm doing it my way. In the presence of God. So the question is, brothers and sisters, as this writer is speaking to the Hebrews, to people who are professing Jesus, the question is, are you saved? Are you willing to turn your back on Christ because of your issues? Today, when you hear his voice, oh, do not harden your heart. Those who belong to him will heed his voice. You see, he's at a place with them where he's calling them. They didn't cross the line yet. He's calling them, make your choice, make your decision. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Whom will you serve? Because now God's going to speak to you, and what will you do? And I come now to the church, to us. We hear God's voice. We show up on time. We bring the sacrifice, but do we harden our hearts? I want to share with you some, a study by Charles Finney on the hardening of hearts. Charles Finney was a revivalist in the United States in the 1700s. Amazing revivals broke out in the, in the areas of Rome, New York, and, and other areas here in the Midwest that Charles Finney, the revivalist, brought now, now, he was uh, an amazing revivalist with great results in salvations. And what he saw are many lost get saved, but his biggest opposition, guess where it came from? The churches. And he began to study the hardness of hearts. And he began to look at what is a hardened heart. So I want to share that with you this morning as we would understand a hardened heart. Charles Finney said this, people who harden their hearts justify their positions. The reason you and I, there there may be an area in our lives where God is speaking to and we justify why we're doing what we're doing. God told you before to get rid of that thing, but you have a better reason for keeping it. 
That's a hardened heart. Today, when you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. There are parts of our hearts that are calcified. They're not pliable by God. We won't respond to the oil of His Spirit. They stay calloused. God is trying to speak to His people, but some of us have a hardness in some areas of our hearts. It's God's desire to have our hearts pliable to His voice and word and respond. How many of us have heard God, but we've justified our position and qualified ourselves to be okay before God? People who harden their hearts, harden them for favoring themselves over God. They favor themselves over the Word. They favor themselves over a move of the Spirit. I don't feel like doing that today, God. I just don't feel like witnessing. I don't feel like praying today. I just don't feel like studying the Word of God. Today, when you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. How could we put a callus over the wooing of God's love? People harden their hearts because they won't break friendship with the world. How often God has spoken to you about the people you hang with. God has spoken to you about the language coming out of their mouth. Where they lead you to as you walk behind them. Oh, I'm saved. I'm clean. But they just do some of those things that I won't partake in. You're hardening your heart to the wooing of the Spirit. Psalm 1 tells us who we're supposed to walk with, who we're supposed to sit down with, who we're supposed to stay with, and none of it is with wrong people. It's with the right crowd. Listen to what God's saying. Today, when you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. Some of you are in relationships with people that it's called missionary dating. They're not saved. You're violating the Word of God, but you hope they'll get saved. Today, When you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. People harden their hearts because of their stubbornness to confess sin. The church has lost the will to confess sin. We're afraid to confess sin because we might think people would think we're sinners. Hello. What a concept. That if one of us would be able to confess sin before a congregation, the rest of the congregation would say, we believe, we're behind you, we're praying for you. You can be washed in that blood. We're going to help you not fall that way again. It's going to be all right. Let's get through it. Because if there's someone in here saying, oh my, did you hear that? Well, listen, today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. There's no one here that should be able to not repent, not confess, and be quick to do this. It amazes me that we have to beg people to come to the altar anymore. We have to beg people for a solemn assembly. We have to beg people to consider to weep before God. Because we've hardened our hearts. People harden their hearts by yielding to their temper. We have so much attitude in the church. We've got so much flesh attitude. We're not bearing the fruit of God's nature, of His Spirit. We're not patient with people. We have so much offense in the church. People are offended all the time in the church. And so there's a revolving door in the church because I got offended by that brother. Or this brother missed saying that. Or they did this. And there's so much offense in the church that it just circulates in the body of Christ, in every community, as we travel from one church to the next church, from one offense to the next offense. And you're hardening your heart when God would say, repent of this. 
Leave this behind. Hey, could it be that God's offending you? Because there might be something we need to work on. But we get a hardness of heart to even consider that maybe we're overreacting. People harden their hearts by an indulging appetite. We want this instead of that. God would call us to do this. Hey, listen, call a fast and you'll get a lot of grumbling. And I'll be the first one. I hate fasting. Because I love eating. This is not hard to figure out. But I don't want to harden my heart to a move of God. That if God would say, could you give up Twinkies for a night? That I wouldn't have a hardness of arteries besides a hardness of heart. And I'd say, yes, Lord, yes. We don't need a hardness any longer, brothers and sisters. We've got to be so pliable to God. And that's what he's saying to the Hebrew people. Oh, listen, listen. God's speaking to you. Don't walk away now. Hey, hey, don't walk away. Hey, listen, I'm going a little bit long. Am I losing some of you? Don't walk away. Don't let your heart get hardened because you're waiting for Burger King. Applebee's? Now I'm putting thoughts in your mind. Now I'm really losing you. You're thinking of the appetizer already. Don't harden your heart. People harden their hearts for a fear of man. They're afraid that someone's going to ridicule them. Someone will persecute them or whatever. We can't harden our hearts from that. He's speaking to the Hebrew people. Don't do that. He's speaking to us. People harden their hearts by ignorance towards God. That's no excuse. We harden our hearts because, well, you know, uh, I just didn't know. There's no excuse. How many of you, let me put it this way, how many here don't have a Bible in your house? You don't own a Bible. Is anybody here that doesn't own a Bible? We will give you one today. Anybody that doesn't own a Bible? Okay, so everybody here owns a Bible. Then tell me, what's the excuse for our Christianity? Why don't we know enough about God? Why are we so limited in our knowledge of the Lord? Because we have a hardness of hearts. I have to say it. I'll speak to me first. But I don't know enough about God only because. Not enough time in the day? No. Why don't I know more about the Lord? Because I have a hardness of heart towards studying His Word. What about you? How much do you know of God's Word? How much time have you put in and studying this thing? How much time? It's not about knowing dates and facts. It's knowing the character of the one who shed his blood for you. It's knowing the love language of the one who's speaking into every problem you have, every issue you know. One who knows you more intimately than you know yourself. But why are we so limited in our knowledge of who he is? Why do I have to counsel people on the character of God regularly? Why is it that we're ready to think think so many wrong things about who He is and His character? Why? Why are we there? Because we don't know enough about Him. Why don't we know enough about Him? Because of a hardness of our own hearts to study Him. Help us, God. Help us. He goes on, he says, people harden their hearts because they don't trust God. They don't know Him well enough to trust Him. 
We're constantly blaming him. He's the first one. The wounded Christians who won't come back to church. Talk to most of these wounded Christians. Most people who grew up, who know the Lord, they have an issue with God. They're mad at him. How could he let this happen? How could he take this person in my life? How could he allow that to go on? You don't know him. You don't know him. And the reason you don't know him is there's a hardness in your heart to get to know him because you've been offended by him. But you've not been offended by him. You've been offended by your own ignorance. People harden their hearts because they withhold confidence in men. People have let you down. I don't want to go back to that church. I don't like these people. Christians are this. Ah, those Christians are that. We label Christians. We label them and who they are. There's a guy being labeled right now as a fundamentalist Christian. And is it Norway? He just killed, what, 95 people? Said he's a fundamentalist Christian. He is fundamentally not a Christian. There is nothing fundamental about that kind of Christianity. Fundamental Christianity holds life sacred and sees that every human being is created in the image of God. You cannot call him a fundamental Christian. You call him fundamentally ill. He is ill, and something possesses him other than the Spirit of God. So don't be fooled by the media, and don't let your friends at work and everybody else call him a fundamental Christian, because that is fundamentally not Christian. But we've been wounded by people, and so we say uh, we can't just serve God. And that is creating a hardness in your heart towards the Lord because of someone else's wounding you. Don't let your heart get hardened. Don't let it get hardened. People harden their hearts through a habit of delay. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll try the next day. I don't need to do it right now. And brothers and sisters, that is only one thing. Justify it any way you want. It is one thing. It is a hardness of heart. It's a hardness of heart. Now, I could hear in the first service certain hearts starting to go and harden up against my preaching. <laughs> Didn't want to hear it. Uh, I'm not hearing it in this service, so... Th- <laughs> we harden our hearts on the account of other people's sins. We harden our hearts by holding onto our own ambitions instead of the Lord's. We harden our hearts towards the Lord by the people we love. We don't want to offend the people we love. We don't want to get overly zealous for Jesus to offend those around us. We don't want to lose our ambition. We don't want to lose who we are. That was one of the main issues as a young man as to reason why I didn't sell myself out to the Lord sooner. Because I liked who I was and I didn't want God to change me into those Christians. I saw them on TV. They were weird. I didn't want to have to wear a three-piece suit and have puffy hair. I, didn't, I liked who I was. I liked to have fun. I liked the joy. I, I, I liked, and I didn't want to be shaped and stripped of who I am in my personality and become another cookie-cutter Christian. But that was a hardness of my own heart for seeking God's ambition for me. Don't you think God's got a better design for you than you do? 
We don't. We don't. You're all saying, yes, we do, but we don't. We all think we've got the design for us. There are things yet to behold that he wants to do with you, but because of our own fear and mistrust and ignorance and shyness, we won't go there. God wants to do some radical changes in your life. If you will let him, don't harden your hearts. People harden their hearts because it does not suit their convenience. And last of all, people harden their hearts because of God's love and favor for another. And that was the issue with Israel. The Judaizers following Paul, the people who said, you must keep the law, you must do this, they had one issue. And that's the whole crux of Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. If God wants to save Gentiles, he can. And Israel didn't like that. Origen, one of the early church fathers, put it this way, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. In other words, how is it that Pharaoh's heart kept getting harder and harder whenever God would demonstrate his love and mercy towards Israel? You see, God was shining his light and his favor upon Israel, plague after plague, and that sun and glory that was shining on Israel to win them or melt their hearts for him was hardening the clay of Pharaoh's own heart. I'm God of this earth, I'm the ruler. And he was angry that God would show favor to them. And Israel was angry. We're the chosen people. We're the promised ones. What is this that you're taking the gospel to the dogs? And that's what Paul's writing in Romans 9.10. Don't let your heart get hardened like Pharaoh's. Who are you, clay, that you can talk back to the potter? If God chooses to elect Gentiles, he can. Today, while you hear God's heart, when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. God shows mercy on people. How many of you ever felt this? I have. I'll admit it. I admit it. I'm confessing my sin before you. I see what other people get from the Lord, and I go, Lord, I've been praying for this for how long? How come they get it? I should be celebrating. Hallelujah. <laughs> you work, you labor, you pray, you toil. You see other people blessed. How many of you have been there? You've done, right? You know what I'm talking about. Been in ministry 20 years. You're pouring in, you're pouring in, you're pouring in. And some kid fresh out of Bible college starts a church. And he's got 3,000 people and you're going. <laughs> Hallelujah. People are saved. But, you know, you get that way. You hit the, and, and you've got to be careful because it can harden your heart. And, and, and Israel was hardening their heart against what they were supposed to be doing all along. They were supposed to be the light to the Gentiles. They were the ones that were privileged to carry the message. It wasn't being done by them. So God is now calling those a remnant to do this work, and they're getting ticked. Are we any different? You hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. You've heard it. He's telling these Hebrews, you've heard the voice of God in Christ your Son. He did miracles in the open before all of you. You saw it. Don't harden your heart.
And he's saying that to the church today. Proverbs 29 says, A man who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Don't let your heart become like the law of the Ten Commandments written on it. Let it be soft, as Ezekiel said. I'll take out that stony heart, and I will put a heart of flesh into you, a heart that hears my voice, that is soft and, and malleable to be shaped as my voice is calling it. Today, brothers and sisters, in our midst, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your hearts. God's been speaking to us. God's been calling us. He's been saying things to you. You know it. No more excuses. I didn't even list them all. We're very creative people. Won't you listen and don't harden your heart? We need to pray right now because I would imagine that all of us have discovered that there are areas of our heart that have calluses. The Spirit's been rubbing and moving in that place and we've pushed Him away so often. We've got calluses and we've gotten hard. Let us invite the ministry of the Holy Spirit to bring His oil and soften our hearts to obey. Let's bow our heads.